the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to an idol. In Revelation 14, 6 and 7, John says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him the glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we are reminded, So whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Build your business for the glory of God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. All throughout the Bible, Scripture makes it very clear that glory is due to God alone and that He'll share His glory with no one. As much as we might think we're immune to stealing God's glory as believers, we sometimes give in to this temptation whether we realize it or not. In today's message, Pastor Gary reflects on the self-absorbed actions of King Hezekiah. In his study, you'll learn about the dangers of allowing yourself to be consumed by the works of your own hands rather than the works of the Lord. At the close of Pastor Gary's message, at the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 39, as he continues his message, A Tale of Two Cities, A Tale of Two Glories. having a conversation a little while ago with our middle school pastor, and Barrett is, I think, 27, 28, somewhere in there. And in the course of our conversation, I happened to mention, I didn't even remember, I think we were talking about music, and in the course of the conversation, I mentioned Diana Ross. He looked at me like the deer in the headlights. And he said to me, who's Diana Ross? I was like, you don't, you don't know? Come on! You don't know Diana Ross? Ain't no mountain high enough? Ain't no valley low enough, Diana Ross. Baby love, my baby love. Endless love, Diana Ross. Crickets. He had no idea who she was. But how sad is this? Her glory has faded. She's not even dead. Don't tell her we're having this conversation, but I just... It was remarkable to me. I started throwing out other names. Do you know that? And I got depressed. I'm like, what in the world? (laughs) Our glory is fading like a flower. Number three, God's glory is incomparable. Man's glory is insignificant. In chapter 40, verse 12, 
and on. I mean, I'm just going to read verse 12 and a little bit of chapter 40, but Isaiah spends a lot of time talking about just the incomparable greatness and splendor and magnificence of God in comparison to man. And this chapter is rich with a lot of it. I'm just going to highlight a few verses. Verse 12, he says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Interesting, by the way, that whole concept of mountains and hills, valleys, the balance of the earth is what scientists call isostasy. It's the equilibrium and balance of the earth. And God has wonderfully created the earth in such a way that it doesn't wobble or spin out of control. He's got the Himalayas on one side of the earth and he's got the Grand Canyon on the other. So it just, it balances all in its rotation because that's, that's the way God has made the universe. You know, I, I can't even get the ceiling fan in my office not to wobble. You got to attach little weights on the blades to make sure that it spins just right. And here God has just flung the earth in space to, to wonderfully rotate without wobbling and without being out of balance. And Isaiah is saying, what man has done that? I mean, I mean man can't even, you know, balance his tires or, or the ceiling fan. And, and God has made the whole universe in, in right balance. Further down in verse 25 he, he asks more rhetorical questions. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? To whom will you compare me there in verse 25? It, he's un, it's incomparable. It, we can't compare anything or anyone to God. He has no equal. Verse 26, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I mean, this, this is the God of the universe that we serve. This is the one who is incomparable, but our glory is insignificant. Now, when you put these three things together, that man's glory is limited, man's glory is fleeting, it is fading, and man's glory is insignificant, and... Isaiah makes this case throughout chapter 40, then you can understand why in chapter 39, Isaiah rebukes King Hezekiah for promoting his own glory instead of the glory of God. The reason why these two chapters are together is because there's this message to us that Hezekiah serves to illustrate that the glory of God is revealed for all to see. The glory of God is eternal. The glory of God is incomparable. And then we come along and sometimes we assert ourselves and think we're all that. And Hezekiah is a reminder to us that when you consider the glory of God and all of his wonder and all of his magnificence and all of his majesty and all of his splendor, how dare any of us touch the glory and think to ourselves, that we've accomplished this and we've done that and we've become successful and we've earned this and we deserve that. So look at the story now in chapter 39 with me. There's this danger, you see, that we can get into when we start to live for our glory instead of the glory of God. So let me summarize what we read in chapter 39 and then I'll point out a few verses with you. 
Hezekiah has just been miraculously healed by God of a terminal illness. That was our study last time in chapter 38. And in addition, God has not only healed him, God has given him a 15-year extension onto his life. This news circulates the known world. So much so that the Babylonians, on a map would take up the area of Iraq, the king of Babylon sends an envoy to King Hezekiah in Judah, in Israel, with a letter from the king of Babylon and gifts to celebrate with him this great recovery of this illness that was killing him. And so here come the Babylonian envoy, gifts and a letter. And they pay tribute here to King Hezekiah. Wow, we've heard, you know, I mean, it, people have been tweeting all over the place about how you, you uh, and it's not fake news, it's real news, we've heard. And, uh, and that you've recovered from this illness. Everybody thought you were dying. And so we've come with a letter from the king of Babylon. We've come with gifts. And so we just, we just, this is incredible. So we just want to kind of honor you. And Hezekiah here in this moment, you see, in this moment, he misses an opportunity. Because in this moment, he could be telling them about how God miraculously healed him. And he could be sharing with these pagan well-wishers, because that's what they were. They, they were foreign uh, pagan people who did not believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He could have been using this opportunity as a witness, as a testimony for what God had done in his life. And they could have beheld the glory of God. Instead, they ended up beholding the glory of Hezekiah. Because what does Hezekiah end up doing here? Look at verse 2. In verse 2 of chapter 39, Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses. Now, I want you to circle the word or highlight in your Bibles every time the word his, the pronoun his is used. He showed them what was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his entire armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. So they come like we heard about this great recovery. Indeed. Do you have time for a tour? Can I show you all of my treasures? Can I show you my storehouses of fine uh, oil and spices and silver and gold? Let me take you through the palace. You have time to walk through the gardens with me. Let me show you all of our weapons. I'm going to take you to the armory. I'm going to show you all of our weapons. What are you doing, Hezekiah? These people are, are not just foreigners. These are enemies of Israel who have come in the, for the moment as a delegation of peace, but otherwise they pose a real threat to Israel. And what's he doing? He's showing them around. Let me just give you a tour of my palace and all of my stuff here. Now, this is troubling on a few levels. Five times in this one verse, verse 2, the pronoun his is used placing emphasis on Hezekiah's ownership and glory rather than on God's ownership and glory. You'll notice also in verse 4, it says, the prophet asked him, what did they see in your palace? Because I'm sure Isaiah's, Isaiah's a little flabbergasted here. He's like, you, you just gave these people a tour of everything? You, you took them into the war room and everything? You opened up your bank account? You showed them how much money? What, what did you show them? And he says in verse 4, well, they saw everything, everything in my palace. He says in verse 4, there is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Nothing. I showed them everything. And again, we go from the pronoun his to the pronoun my. 
because he owns it, he believes, and he wants to take the glory for it all. Now, let me say this. I know that we commonly talk this way when we refer to things, even as Christians, we, we refer to things that we know, we know really are from the hand of God, but we still talk, you know, normal, you know, so you'll say things like, come to my house for dinner, even though instinctively as Christians, I hope we all understand that the house we live in is really from the hand of God, right? But we, but we still are going to talk normally. Why don't you come to my house for dinner? You know, I, I, got, I got to get the oil changed in my car. So that's normal, all right? It would be unnatural to go around saying, hey, why don't you come to the house God gave me for dinner that I happen to live in? Oh, I, I need to get the oil changed in the car that God is allowing me to drive. Okay, it, that's super spiritual. If you talk like that, don't talk like that, all right? Just <laughs> stop that. I mean, I, I understand, I hope we all understand, okay, the car I drive, the house I live in, the money in my bank account, everything, it's really from the hand of the Lord, but we're going to still talk about it as my house, my car. Okay, we get that. So I'm not picking on Hezekiah's words here as to why it is clear that he's touching the glory and taking ownership for stuff. What we need to look at here is the heart of Hezekiah, which that's pretty difficult. How do you know somebody's heart, which is revealed by what he says and what he does. See, you and I can never know what's in a person's heart unless they say something or show by action. Then, then we can see their heart revealed. So Hezekiah's heart is revealed to us first by what he said in response to Isaiah's rebuke. Now look at Isaiah's rebuke here in verses 5, 6, and 7. Verse 5, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. All right, now you know why he's saying this, right? Because he's saying, you're touching the glory, you're taking credit for all this stuff, so guess what? There's going to come a day when God's going to say, you think it's yours? Watch who it really belongs to as I allow the Babylonians to come and take it all away from you. So, has, so Isaiah goes on in, at the end of uh, verse 6, nothing will be left, says the Lord, verse 7, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Isaiah is basically saying, you want to take credit for all this stuff? You think all this stuff is yours? You watch, because one day, and he, prof he prophesies here, and it would happen about 115 years later where God will allow the Babylonians to come, ransack the palace of Jerusalem, the temple of Jerusalem, haul these things off and away to show that God is the real owner. You start to touch these things and claim them for yourselves. Watch Hezekiah what God will do. And Isaiah goes on to say, and not only will your possessions be carried off, but so will your people, including some of your own descendants, your own flesh and blood. He says to Hezekiah, some of your own grandsons will be singing tenor in the king of Babylon's palace. Do you understand this? And here's Hezekiah's response. Here's what he says in verse 8. Oh, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. What? what? And then he adds, well, there will be peace and security in my lifetime. This is good. Because all this stuff you've just said, Isaiah, means that this is in the future. It doesn't really affect me right now, so I'm good. I'm good. No, no, Hezekiah, you're not good. You're missing the point here. But what it tells us, revealed through what he says, is that he really is thinking, it's my treasures, it's my palace, it's my lifetime. 
This is good because it's really all about me. And it's not only exposing how he's touching the glory by what he says, but also by what he does. Does it strike anyone odd when you read this story that the Babylonians pose a real threat to the Jewish people, but for the moment they've come as a little envoy of peace, we want to give you a letter, we want to send you some gifts, and King Hezekiah takes the opportunity to show a foreign nation that poses a real threat everything that he has. All the silver, all the gold, all the spices, all our weaponry, everything. He shows him everything. Let me tell you, this would be, this would be the equivalent of, on a very small scale, you know that there's a neighborhood thief where you live. You invite him over to your house. He comes, shows up. Hey, I heard you got sick, and I just wanted to bring you, you know, a pound cake here, and I heard about your recovery. Hey, thank you very much. While you're here, do you have time for a tour of my house? Well, actually, I do. Let me show you my bank account. Let me give you my passwords. Here's my social security number. Here's the code to the, to the alarm system on my house. Here's where I hang the car keys in case you're ever interested in my cars. Thanks and have a good day. What are you doing? Why, why would you show somebody these things? I'll tell you why he showed them these things. Because he was blinded by his own glory rather than raptured by the glory of God. He was blinded by his own glory. Let me show you all my stuff. Let me show you all my accomplishments. Let me show you all my achievements. Let me show you what I've done. And this becomes his downfall. When you become more impressed with your splendor than the splendor of God, you and I are in trouble. We see actually this illustrated in the New Testament with another king. His name was King Herod Agrippa I. He was a puppet of the Roman Empire, and he was put in place over the province of Judea to keep watch on the Jewish people. And in Acts chapter 12, it tells us that on one occasion when King Agrippa was in Caesarea by the sea, which was the main place that he lived, the king's The Herods would only go down to Jerusalem during the feast time. Herod Agrippa I, the guy we're talking about in Acts chapter 12, was the grandson of Herod the Great, who had all the baby boys killed during the time of Jesus. He was the nephew of Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded. So this guy is in that family line. So here he is in Acts chapter 12, Herod Agrippa I, he's probably in the theater, doesn't specifically say, and he's giving this public speech to the people of Caesarea. But the Bible says that he's wearing his royal vestments, and Josephus, the first century Roman historian, wrote about this event also. And Josephus said that Agrippa's royal robes were made of silver material, kind of like sequins, And when the sun glistened, this is Josephus writing, and when the sun glistened against the royal robes, he sparkled and glowed, giving the appearance of divinity. And so here's what the Bible says in Acts 12, verse 22, when the people saw him glistening, in Acts 12, 22, they shouted, this is the voice of a God. 
not a man. So here's King Agrippa. He's talking. He's giving the speech, and he's glistening. The sun uh, reflecting off of his brilliant silver uh, royal vestments, and the people are mesmerized, and he's glowing. He's glowing. And so they start to ascribe divinity to him. You're like a god. You're not a man. You're a god. And they start worshiping him. And at this moment, Agrippa should stop them and say, no, 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 wait a minute, I'm not God, that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or I'm just a king. But instead, he's like, hmm, I like this. I like, what did you call me? I didn't hear you. What? You're like a God. Say it again. You're like a God. I can't hear you. You know, and that goes on. And so in Acts 12, 23, it says, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. (laughs) What more needs to be said about that? I, I mean, the moral of the story is don't touch the glory. I mean, you know, worms are kind of really the lowest on the food chain. So when God decides, I'm going to kill you by letting worms eat you, that's like the lowest of the lowest of the food chains. That's how you're going out. And that's what God did with King Agrippa because he touched the glory. On one of our trips to Israel, uh, Ronnie Cohen, our tour guide, um, a longtime friend of ours now, in the middle of the tour, he gave me this coin. And it's an ancient coin. And, he, and, it's, and, and the coin was minted by that very king in Acts chapter 12, King Herod Agrippa I. And so, and so I want you to have this. And it was actually on a, it was in a medallion and on a chain. And so he gave it to me and, and, I, was, and I was very appreciative. And I, it was the oldest thing I owned, like 2,000 years old. And uh, so Terry later said to me, you're not going to wear that, are you? I'm like, why not? She goes, it's, you know, that's kind of a bad story in Acts chapter 12. And <laughs> you're not going to put like King Agrippa around. And, and I said, you know, actually... It's a good reminder around my, I don't, I don't wear it all the time. I don't have it on right now, but it's, it's just a good reminder. Don't ever touch the glory or you might die from worms. <laughs> but it's something important for us always to consider. Why? Because Psalm 115 verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be all the glory. Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to an idol. In Revelation 14, 6 and 7, John says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him the glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we are reminded, So whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Build your business for the glory of God. Raise your kids for the glory of God. Use your gifts for the glory of God. Watch your speech for the glory of God. Manage your money for the glory of God. Love your spouse for the glory of God. Live your life for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In the 17th century, some English and Scottish theologians got together and they penned what is commonly called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And one of the defining lines of the catechism that these theologians came up with kind of summarizes what we've been talking about today. And it says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. May all that we do, everything about our lives, 
bring glory to God Almighty. And may we always be careful never to touch the glory. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah here on Cornerstone Connection. We're glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word. But we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners. So please give us a call if you have a moment and tell us how you've been impacted by this ministry. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. When you call, let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings as he's been working his way through the Bible, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our entire archive is available there along with companion study resources. Just look under the teachings tab. You can also download our mobile app to connect with Scripture whenever and wherever you happen to be. There's a link to that under the teaching tab. Or search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us at Cornerstone Chapel for our weekly services. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's study of Isaiah. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know